0: Joe's Boys, Chapter Eighteen. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Joe's Boys, by Louisa May Alcott, Chapter Eighteen, Class Day. The clerk of the weather evidently has a regard for young people, and sends sunshine for class days as often as he can an especially lovely one shone over plumfield as this interesting anniversary came round bringing the usual accompaniments of roses strawberries white-gowned girls beaming youths proud friends and stately dignitaries full of well-earned satisfaction with the yearly harvest as lawrence college was a mixed one the presence of a young woman, as students, gave to the occasion a grace and animation entirely wanting, where the picturesque half of creation appear merely as spectators. The hands that turned the pages of wise books also possessed the skill to decorate the hall with flowers. Eyes tired with study shone with hospitable warmth on the assembling guests, and under the white muslins beat hearts as full of ambition, hope, and courage as those agitating the broadcloth of the ruling sex. College Hill, Parnassus, and Old Plums swarmed with cheery faces as guests, students, and professors hurried to and fro in the pleasant excitement of arriving and receiving. Everyone was welcomed cordially, whether he rolled up in a fine carriage or trudged afoot to see the good son or daughter come to honour on the happy day that rewarded many a mutual sacrifice. Mr. Laurie and his wife were on the reception committee, and their lovely house was overflowing. Mrs. Meg, with daisy and joe as aides, was in demand among the girls helping on belated toilets giving an eye to spreads and directing the decorations mrs joe had her hands full as president's lady and the mother of ted for it took all the power and skill of that energetic woman to get her son into his sunday best not that he objected to be well arrayed far from it he adored good clothes and owing to his great height already revelled in a dress suit bequeathed him by a dandy friend the effect was very funny but he would wear it in spite of the jeers of his mates and sighed vainly for a beaver because his stern parent drew the line there he pleaded that english lads of ten wore them and were no end nobby but his mother only answered with a consoling pat of the yellow mane my child you are absurd enough now if i let you add a tall hat plumfield wouldn't hold either of us such would be the scorn and derision of all beholders content yourself with looking like the ghost of a waiter and don't ask for the most ridiculous headgear in the known world denied this noble badge of manhood ted soothed his wounded soul by appearing in collars of an amazing height and stiffness and ties which were the wonder of all female eyes this freak was a sort of vengeance on his hard-hearted mother for the collars drove the laundress to despair, never being just right, and the ties required such art in the tying that three women sometimes laboured long before, like Beau Brommel, he turned from a heap of failures with the welcome words, that will do. Rob was devoted on these trying occasions, his own toilet being distinguished only by its speed, simplicity, and neatness. Ted was usually in a frenzy before he was suited, and roars, whistles, commands, and groans were heard from the den, wherein the lion raged, and the lamb patiently toiled. Mrs. Jo bore it till boots were hurled, and a rain of hair-brushes set in. Then, fearing for the safety of her eldest, she would go to the rescue, and by a wise mixture of fun and authority, finally succeeded in persuading Ted that he was a thing of beauty, if not a joy for ever." At last he would stalk majestically forth, imprisoned in collars compared to which those worn by Dickens' afflicted biler were trifles not worth mentioning. The dress-coat was a little loose in the shoulders, but allowed a noble expanse of glossy bosom to be seen, and with a delicate handkerchief, negligently drooping at the proper angle, had a truly fine effect. Boots that shone, and likewise pinched, appeared at one end of the long black clothes-pin, as Josie called him, and a youthful but solemn face at the other, carried at an angle which, if long continued, would have resulted in spinal curvature. Light gloves, a cane, and, oh, bitter drop in the cup of joy, an ignominious straw hat, not to mention a choice floweret in the buttonhole, and a festoon of watchguard below, finished off this impressive boy. "'How's that for style?' he asked appearing to his mother and cousins, whom he was to escort to the hall on this particular occasion. A shout of laughter greeted him, followed by exclamations of horror, for he had artfully added the little blond moustache he often wore when acting. It was very becoming, and seemed the only balm to heal the wound made by the loss of the beloved hat. "'Take it off this moment, you audacious boy! What would your father say to such a prank on this day, when we must all behave our best?' said mrs joe trying to frown but privately thinking that among the many youths about her none were so beautiful and original as her long son let him wear it auntie it's so becoming no one will ever guess he isn't eighteen at least cried josie to whom disguise of any sort was always charming father won't observe it he'll be absorbed in his big wigs and the girls no matter if he does he'll enjoy the joke and introduce me as his oldest son Rob is nowhere when I'm in full fig. And Ted took the stage with a tragic stalk, like Hamlet in a tailcoat and choker. My son, obey me. And when Mrs. Joe spoke in that tone, her word was law. Later, however, the mustache appeared, and many strangers firmly believed that there were three young bears. So Ted found one ray of joy to light his gloom. Mr. Bear was a proud and happy man when, at the appointed hour, he looked down upon the parterre of youthful faces before him, thinking of the little gardens in which he had hopefully and faithfully sown good seed years ago, and from which this beautiful harvest seemed to have sprung. Mr. March's fine old face shone with the serenest satisfaction, for this was the dream of his life fulfilled after patient waiting and the love and reverence in the countenances of the eager young men and women looking up at him plainly showed that the reward he coveted was his in fullest measure lorry always effaced himself on these occasions as much as courtesy would permit for every one spoke gratefully in ode poem and oration of the founder of the college and noble dispenser of his beneficence the three sisters beamed with pride as they sat among the ladies enjoying as only women can, the honour done the men they loved. While the original plums, as the younger ones called themselves, regarded the whole affair as their work, receiving the curious, admiring, or envious glances of strangers with a mixture of dignity and delight rather comical to behold. The music was excellent, and well it might be when Apollo waved the baton. The poems were, as usual on such occasions, of varied excellence, as the youthful speakers tried to put old truths into new words and made them forceful by the enthusiasm of their earnest faces and fresh voices it was beautiful to see the eager interest with which the girls listened to some brilliant brother-student and applauded him with a rustle as of wind over a bed of flowers It was still more significant and pleasant to watch the young men's faces when a slender white figure stood out against the background of black-coated dignitaries, and with cheeks that flushed and paled, and lips that trembled till earnest purpose conquered maiden fear, spoke to them straight out of a woman's heart and brain concerning the hopes and doubts, the aspirations and rewards all must know, desire and labour for. This clear, sweet voice seemed to reach and rouse all. That was noblest in the souls of these youths and to set a seal upon the years of comradeship which made them sacred and memorable for ever alice heath's oration was unanimously pronounced the success of the day for without being flowery or sentimental as is too apt to be the case with these first efforts of youthful orators it was earnest sensible and so inspiring that she left the stage in a storm of applause the good fellows being as much fired by her stirring appeal to march shoulder to shoulder as if she had chanted the marseillaise then and there one young man was so excited that he nearly rushed out of his seat to receive her as she hastened to hide herself among her mates who welcomed her with faces full of tender pride and tearful eye a prudent sister detained him however and in a moment he was able to listen with composure to the president's remarks they were worth listening to for mr bear spoke like a father to the children whom he was dismissing to the battle of life and his tender wise and helpful words lingered in their hearts long after the praise was forgotten then came other exercises peculiar to plumfield and the end why the roof did not fly off when the sturdy lungs of the excited young men pealed out the closing hymn will for ever be a mystery but it remained firm and only the fading garlands vibrated as the waves of music rolled up and died away, leaving sweet echoes to haunt the place for another year. Dinners and spreads consumed the afternoon, and at sunset came a slight lull as everyone sought some brief repose before the festivities of the evening began. The President's reception was one of the enjoyable things in store, also dancing on parnasus, and as much strolling, singing, and flirting as could be compressed into a few hours by youths and maidens just out of school. Carriages were rolling about, and gay groups on piazzas, lawns, and window-seats idly speculated as to who the distinguished guests might be The appearance of a very dusty vehicle loaded with trunks at Mr. Bear's hospitably open door caused much curious comment among the loungers, especially as two rather foreign-looking gentlemen sprang out, followed by two young ladies, all four being greeted with cries of joy and much embracing by the bears. Then they all disappeared into the house, the luggage followed, and the watchers were left to wonder who the mysterious strangers were till a fair collegian declared that they must be the professor's nephews, one of whom was expected on his wedding journey. She was right. Franz proudly presented his blonde and buxom bride, and she was hardly kissed and blessed when Emile led up his bonny English Mary with a rapturous announcement. "'Uncle, Aunt Jo, here's another daughter. Have you room for my wife, too?' There could be no doubt of that, and Mary was with difficulty rescued from the glad embraces of her new relatives who remembering all the young pair had suffered together felt that this was the natural and happy ending of the long voyage so perilously begun but why not tell us and let us be ready for two brides instead of one asked mrs Joe, looking as usual rather demoralizing in a wrapper and crimping-pins having rushed down from her chamber where she was preparing for the labours of the evening "'Well, I remembered what a good joke you all considered Uncle Laurie's marriage, "'and I thought I'd give you another nice little surprise,' laughed Emil. "'I'm off duty, and it seemed best to take advantage of wind and tide "'and come along as convoy to the old boy here. "'We hoped to get in last night, but couldn't fetch it, "'so here we are in time for the end of the jollification anyway.' "'Ah, my sons, it is too feeling full to see you both so happy "'and again in the old home.' i have no words to outpour my gratitude and can only ask of the dear god in himmel to bless and keep you all cried professor bear trying to gather all four into his arms at once while tears rolled down his cheeks and his english failed him an april shower cleared the air and relieved the full hearts of the happy family then of course everyone began to talk Franz and Ludmilla in German with uncle, Emile and Mary with the aunts, and round this group gathered the young folk, clamouring to hear all about the wreck and the rescue and the homeward voyage. It was a very different story from the written one, and as they listened to Emile's graphic words, with Mary's soft voice breaking in now and then to add some fact that brought out the courage, patience, and self-sacrifice he so lightly touched upon, it became a solemn and pathetic thing to see and hear these happy creatures tell of that great danger and deliverance. "'I never hear the patter of rain now that I don't want to say my prayers. And as for women, I'd like to take my hat off to every one of them, for they are braver than any man I ever saw,' said Emile, with the new gravity that was as becoming to him as the new gentleness with which he treated every one if women are brave some men are as tender and self-sacrificing as women i know one who in the night slipped his share of food into a girl's pocket though starving himself and sat for hours rocking a sick man in his arms that he might get a little sleep no love i will tell and you must let me cried mary holding in both her own the hand he laid on her lips to silence her "'I only did my duty. "'If that torment had lasted much longer, "'I might have been as bad as poor Barry and the Botswain. "'Wasn't that an awful night?' "'And Emile shuddered as he recalled it. "'Don't think of it, dear. "'Tell about the happy days on the Urania, "'when Papa grew better and we were all safe and homeward-bound,' "'said Mary, with the trusting look and comforting touch, "'which seemed to banish the dark "'and recall the bright side of that terrible experience.' "'Emile cheered up at once.' and sitting with his arm about his dear lass, in true sailor fashion told the happy ending of the tale. "'Such a dolly old time as we had at Hamburg! Uncle Herman couldn't do enough for the captain, and while Mamma took care of him, Mary looked after me. I had to go into dock for repairs. Fire hurt my eyes, and watching for a sail and want of sleep made him as hazy as a London fog. She was pilot and brought me in all right, you see.' Only I couldn't part company, so she came aboard as first mate, and I'm bound straight for glory now. Hush, that's silly dear, whispered Mary, trying in her turn to stop him, with English shyness about tender topics. But he took the soft hand in his, and proudly surveying the one ring at war, went on with the air of an admiral aboard his flagship. The captain proposed waiting a spell, but I told him we weren't like to see any rougher weather than we'd pulled through together, and if we didn't know one another after such a year as this, we never should. I was sure I shouldn't be worth my pay without his hand on the wheel. So I had my way, and my brave little woman has shipped for the long voyage. God bless her. "'Shall you really sail with him?' asked Daisy, admiring her courage, but shrinking with cat-like horror from the water. "'I'm not afraid.' answered mary with a loyal smile i've proved my captain in fair weather and in foul and if he is ever wrecked again i'd rather be with him than waiting and watching ashore a true woman and a born sailor's wife you are a happy man emile and i am sure this trip will be a prosperous one cried mrs joe delighted with the briny flavour of this courtship oh my dear boy i always felt you'd come back and when every one else despaired i never gave up but insisted that you were clinging to the main-top jib somewhere on that dreadful sea. And Mrs. Joe illustrated her faith by grasping Emil with a truly pili gesture. "'Of course I was,' answered Emile heartily. "'And my main-top jib, in this case, was the thought of what you and Uncle said to me. That kept me up, and among the million thoughts that came to me during those long nights, none was clearer than the idea of the red strand you remember.' english navy and all that i liked the notion and resolved that if a bit of my cable was left afloat the red stripe should be there and it was my dear it was captain hardy testifies to that and here is your reward and mrs Joe kissed mary with a maternal tenderness which betrayed that she liked the english rose better than the blue-eyed german corn-bloom sweet and modest though it was emil surveyed the little ceremony with complacency saying as he looked about the room which he never thought to see again odd isn't it how clearly trifles come back to one in times of danger as we floated there half starved and in despair i used to think i heard the bells ringing here and ted tramping downstairs and you calling boys boys it's time to get up i actually smelt the coffee we used to have and one night i nearly cried when i woke from a dream of asia's ginger cookies "'I declare it was one of the bitterest disappointments in my life to face hunger "'with that spicy smell in my nostrils. "'If you've got any, do give me one.' "'A pitiful murmur broke from all the aunts and cousins, "'and Emil was at once borne away to feast on the desired cookies, "'a supply always being on hand. "'Mrs. Joe and her sister joined the other group, "'glad to hear what Franz was saying about Nat. "'The minute I saw how thin and shabby he was, "'I knew that something was wrong.' But he made light of it, and was so happy over our visit and news, that I let him off with a brief confession, and went to Professor Baumgarten and Bergman. From them I learned the whole story of his spending more money than he ought, and trying to atone for it by unnecessary work and sacrifice. Baumgarten thought it would do him good, so kept his secret till I came. It did him good, and he's paid his debts and earned his bread by the sweat of his brow, like an honest fellow." I like that much in that. It is, as I said, a lesson, and he learns it well. He proves himself a man, and has deserved the place Bergman offers him,' said Mr. Bear, looking well pleased as Franz added some facts already recorded. "'I told you, Meg, that he had good stuff in him, and love for Daisy would keep him straight. Dear lad, I wish I had him here this moment,' cried Mrs. Joe, forgetting in delight the doubts and anxieties which had troubled her for months past.' I am very glad and suppose i shall give in as i always do especially now that the epidemic rages so among us you and emil have set all their heads in a ferment and josie will be demanding a lover before i can turn around answered meg in a tone of despair but her sister saw that she was touched by nat's trials and hastened to add the triumphs that the victory might be complete for success is always charming this offer of herr Bergmann. "'Is a good one, isn't it?' she asked, "'though Laurie had already satisfied her on that point "'when Nat's letter brought the news. "'Very fine, in every way. "'Nat will get capital drill at Bachmeister's orchestra, "'see London in a delightful way, "'and if he suits, come home with them. "'Well started among the violins. "'No great honour, but a sure thing and a step up. "'I congratulated him, and he was very jolly over it, "'saying like the true lover he is tell daisy be sure and tell her all about it i'll leave that to you aunt meg and you can also break it gently to her that the old boy had a very fine blond beard very becoming hides his weak mouth and gives a noble air to his big eyes and a Mendelssohnian brow as a gushing girl called it ludmilla has a photo of it for you this amused them and they listened to many other interesting bits of news which kind friends even in his own happiness, had not forgotten to remember for his friend's sake. He talked so well, and painted Nat's patient and pathetic shifts so vividly, that Mrs. Meg was half won. Though if she had learned of the Minna episode, and the fiddling in beer gardens and streets, she might not have relented so soon. She stored up all she heard, however, and, woman-like, promised herself a delicious talk with Daisy in which she would allow herself to melt by degrees, and perhaps change the doubtful, we shall see, to a cordial, he has done well, be happy dear. In the midst of this agreeable chat, the sudden striking of a clock recalled Mrs. Jo from romance to reality, and she exclaimed with a clutch at her crimping pins, My blessed people, you must eat and rest, and I must dress or receive in this disgraceful rig. Meg, will you take Ludmilla and Mary upstairs and see to them? Franz knows the way to the dining room. Fritz, come with me and be made tidy, for what with heat and emotion we are both perfect wrecks. End of chapter eighteen. Read by Martina, Sydney, Australia.